Hey, baby, I'm glad you're here. I thank God for you. You know, I gotta say, um, it humbles me, and I feel honored to serve in a church that when there is struggle for children in our community, the agencies think of us, think those guys will help, those guys will feed, those guys will clothe. And I'm grateful for your generosity. The barrels are already spilling over and uh, we are anxious to deliver these codes. So please, uh, my Deb and I brought a couple uh, last night and uh, let's keep making our best effort to make sure that kids in our backyard um, have everything they need for this frigid winter season. Um, grab one of those study guides on the way out to take you all the way through the greatest chapter in the Bible, the chapter eight of Romans. But right now, let's pray. Father, I wanna call down your goodness on this gathered church family. I wanna call down your goodness on those watching online, that you would be strong through every device, that the Holy Spirit would be as rich and present in every living room as you are, Holy Spirit, in this room. Come in power, teach us through the word. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen. Hey, how many of you have read uh, The Tale of Two Cities by Charles Dickens? Okay, it's in the library. It's a great classic. Um, it's a story about football teams in Chicago and Green Bay. Okay, so <laughs> just kidding. Uh, no, here's the opening line, famous first sentence in The Tale of Two Cities. It was the best of times and the worst of times. That still sounds like the football teams in Chicago and Green Bay. Um, it sounds like a line out of my life. Sounds like it could be a line out of your life. It was the best of times, the worst of times. I mean, we've all been there. We've all had the joy of the best of times and we've all had the agony of the worst of times. And sometimes the worst times come on every person on the planet at the same time, like a global pandemic. Sometimes my worst times have come because of my worst decisions. And sometimes it's been your worst behavior that spawned your worst times. But my fault, your fault, worst times come, nobody's fault, worst times come. Here's the truth I want you to go home with. Sometimes the worst thing that happens, and it happens to me, it happens to you, the worst thing that happens is just a setup for the best thing that could ever happen. Now, if you are in real relationship with Jesus, this is an absolute certain promise for your life. Even when the worst possible thing happens, it's just a setup for the best thing that could ever happen. Okay, so maybe you're not into great literature. Um, how about bowling? Anybody bowl? Okay, here's a picture of my favorite bowler. Okay, he's, it's my grandson, David. He still has his amateur status. He's like Joe Cool at the bowling alley. Uh, but let me tell you what's called the, the most compelling bowling story ever. True story. It's the story of Bill Fong. He devoted his life to bowling. His heart, his passion was to be a professional bowler. He thought he had his ticket to the pro circuit on one particular night. Seemed like it was just a regular ordinary night, but something unbelievable was happening in his game. It was almost magical. Bill Fong, he was the anchor on his team. And when his first turn and the first frame came up, lifted that 15 pound ball up to his chest, took a deep breath, held it, 
and then let his arm fall like a, a, a mighty pendulum, took his normal five steps and released a perfect roll. Bam! Ten pins go flying in different directions. A strike. So there were high fives and busted knuckles, but this is no big deal for Bill. When he got hot, he could string together a whole bunch of strikes. And this night, it was 12 in a row, a perfect game, a score of 300. Now the game's come in series, three games, and guess what? He bowls 12 more strikes in a row, 24 in a row. He's got a score now of 600 in this series. And then he bowls nine strikes in a row. Now everybody in the bowling alley has stopped their games. They're gathered around to watch his team and particularly to cheer him with every strike. But then something really weird starts to come over his body. Something odd happens to Bill physically. He begins to sweat profusely from head to toe. And the bowling alley begins to swing, uh, swim around him. He gets extremely dizzy, but he steadies himself, grabs his ball, for, a ball from the rack, hits two more strikes in a row. All he needs is one more for a series score of 900. Only 21 other people in the history of the sport have ever bowled three perfect games in a row. And he's trying to fight his way through the dizziness, trying to fight his way through whatever's going on. But some little something goes wrong in that last row. I mean, he just tried to put it and do everything mechanically right, but when he released the ball, Look good. People begin to cheer before it gets to the pins. But when it hits the pins and they go flying, one pin, the 10 pin, is left standing. Worst moment of his life. Everybody together, this, all those people gathered around, together were like, oh. All the air goes out of his sails. He is just so done, so disappointed. He grabs his stuff. He just goes home. That's it. When he walks in the door, he staggers to the bathroom where he throws up and throws up and passes out. He wakes up the next day in the hospital to find out that he's had a stroke. And the doctors tell him the one thing that saved his life was that one pin that didn't go down. They said, had that pin fallen, had you gotten that final strike, that the adrenaline rush, the surge in blood pressure would have killed you on the spot. What felt like the worst possible thing to happen became the thing that saved his life. In fact, he said, I, I'd rather be alive with an 899 than dead with a, a 900. And I tell you his story called the, the most compelling story in bowling to tell you the most compelling promise in the word of God. And it goes like this, Romans 8, 28. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purposes. It's such a profound truth and promise. And many of us who love Jesus, we have anchored our lives 
to that promise. When stuff goes wrong, and it does, when things are terrible, and they have been, we just hold on to the belief, the promise, the assurance of God's goodness that he is at work somehow do our good, that we don't know how he's gonna do it. We don't know when it's gonna get done. We just know that our God is at work to our good in the midst of this gross stuff. Such a simple promise. It's only 24 words. And only two of the words, all the words but two are only one syllable. And we need something simple. I mean, when we're really struggling, when we're really hurting, when life is a, a tremendous challenge, when we're caught in the middle of the crises of the trauma, we need, we need to find help and hope, guidance from the simplest possible form. This promise. I mean, I'm a simple guy. So I'm gonna break this down in the simplest way I know how and just say right off the bat that... Um, this promise in Romans 8.28, what's called the most compelling, most amazing promise of God, it is a, a most certain promise. The, the first two English words that begin the sentence are we know. But in Greek, the original Greek, it's just one word, edo. And edo means to know with certainty. I don't know how it's gonna happen. I don't know when it's gonna get done. I just know with all my heart, with all my mind, I know that I know that God is gonna work this somehow together for the good. Now, the one thing that we don't wanna do when we find ourselves in a traumatic and a terrible and a painful situation is to ask why. Why did this happen? God, why'd you let this happen? God, why'd this happen now? God, why'd you let this happen to me? Why? There are no answers, and it just adds more pain to the pile of discomfort. Asking why, when you ask why, you get no answer, just added agony. So if asking why doesn't work, when life is at its worst, what works to move the mess to a better place, a more whole place, a stronger place, a place where the brokenness can get strength and wholeness. Will you anchor your life to the absolute confident assurance in the goodness of God, that God loves you with an unfailing, unshakable love, and that he is always actively at work to your good because our default position, when life goes south, when things get gross, when we find ourselves in the worst time of our lives, our tendency is to default to fear. We start to slip away from the promise of God's word. And so when you find yourself in the worst time possible, doubt your doubts and believe your beliefs because your beliefs in the promises of God will always carry you to that good spot where God has prepared beauty and strength and mercy and love for your life. And so this is the truth that we are gonna commit ourselves to believe this weekend. We've gone through this book of Romans, this chapter eight, naming truth after truth after truth. Here's this week's. I commit to believe God is actively at work to my good.
I want you to say this aloud with me. I'll say the phrase, you just repeat after me. Here we go together. I commit to believe God is actively at work to my good. Man, I'm glad you can hear that with the sound of your own voice. You need to say it in your prayers when you go to bed. You need to say it before your feet hit the floor in the morning. You need to say it while you're in the shower if you're well-groomed like me. Let's say it again. I commit to believe that God is actively at work to my good. And that's the truth. That's the truth for me. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you're a follower of Jesus, that's the truth. So one more time with me, please. We'll make it really personal. Here we go together. I commit to believe that my God is actively at work to my good. That is the truth. We gotta hold on to that truth. It is a most certain promise of God. But it's also, I mean, because maybe you wonder, hey, David, you don't know some of the stuff I've done, some of the dark, vile sins that I've committed. I mean, David, are there worst case scenarios where I might be beyond hope or beyond God's help? Absolutely not. Because this is not just a most certain promise of God. This is a most comprehensive promise of God. Look at the word of God. We know that in not some things, not most things, not 99% of the things, but in all things. We know that in all things, every kind of struggle, every kind of crisis, every kind of trauma, God is at work. God works for our good. Now, that, the scripture is not saying that all things are good. There's lots of stuff. Absolutely terrible. War is not good. Sex trafficking is not good. Abortion is not good. Floods, famine, earthquake, not good. COVID is not good and it's not for our good. But here's the good news. Whatever worst time we're going through, whatever difficulty we face, whatever crises we're in, God didn't cause it. God did not cause the bad thing. He did not bring on the worst time. Here's the deal. God will use the bad thing. God will use the worst time. He will leverage it to your good. He will turn it. He will work it to good. Now, I want you to notice the scripture does not say, and don't make the mistake of thinking that when the worst time happens, it will somehow work itself to good. It's not the worst thing that works. It's God that works. In all things, God works. He loves, if you give him the freedom, God loves to get his hands dirty in your mess, in your struggle, in your difficulty, and shape it into something beautiful. God makes everything beautiful in its time. He loves to get his hands dirty in your struggle, in your mess, and shape it to good, the best thing that could ever happen to you. God works with his power. That makes this promise not just the most certain, the most comprehensive, but the most powerful promise in the word of God. It's his power at work. It's, a, it's an explosive power. It's like dynamite power. It's a kind of power.
power that will change the landscape of your life when everything on the horizon looks challenging and difficult and painful. It's the power of God that gives you a new horizon, that gives you a new right now, knowing certain that he is at work to your good. But bad stuff happens, terrible stuff traumatizing stuff. Maybe you've heard of PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. People suffer terrible trauma and it goes on to have a, a painful negative effect on how they feel and how they think and, and how they behave. But for the last 20 years, psychologists have studied trauma and people in trauma. Particularly they studied firefighters, police officers, I think soldiers. But for 20 years, they studied people that in the midst of their life, that their work, they suffered tremendous trauma. And they discovered that it feels like, I know I can say for certain there's another option from PTSD. It's almost like there's another choice. You suffer trauma, but the, here's the choice, they call it PTG, post-traumatic growth. They said it, it was the most surprising thing. For the last 20 years, they piled up the data. Two people can suffer the same trauma. One has severe stress and post-traumatic stress disorder. Another chooses post-traumatic growth. The trauma is the source of their growth. In fact, they say that these psychologists say people that have PTSD, it's like they just survive the trauma. But people who choose, who opt for PTG, post-traumatic growth, they thrive from the trauma. And they say there are significant elements that, that make people choose or, or, or it evidences itself in their lives, even in the midst of the trauma, that they have PTG, post-traumatic growth. Here are the three of the things. They have a growing sense of gratitude. It's not that they're grateful for the cancer. It's not that they're grateful for the trauma. They are grateful for the next sunrise. They're grateful for the beauty of the day. They are grateful for a baby's smile. They are grateful for the beauty they see all around them. They're grateful for their next breath. They identify everything in their life for which they are grateful and they celebrate and they grow in that gratitude. And that takes them from stress to growth. Secondly, they have a growing sense of compassion. They suffered trauma. They're thriving. Other people are suffering trauma. Kids are going without coats and they can't stand it. And so their growing sense of compassion, they buy a coat. They get some gloves, they get a hat for kids that don't have winter gear. That's just an example. The point is, they don't focus on their past. They don't focus on their pain. They focus on the difficulty of others and try to make a difference in other people's lives. Now, the third element, growing gratitude, growing sense of compassion, and a growing spiritual life. Now, I'm a pastor. I'm not a psychologist. I call that a growing relationship with Jesus. Bad, horrible, traumatic stuff happens to everyone. 
But when you choose to surge in your gratitude and surge in your compassion and surge in your relationship with Jesus, you will just go on a trajectory of growth. You'll grow in joy. You'll grow in hope. You'll grow in peace. You'll grow in love. And the difference between the two is really the difference between the phrases, what if and as if. What if is all about fear? Well, if this bad thing happened to me, what if that bad thing happens to me? What if this bad thing happens to me? What if I never? What if I can't? Uh, what if, what if, what if? That's all fear. And it keeps you stuck in the pain and in the trauma. As if is all about faith. I have determined, I have decided, I will live as if my God is actively at work to my good. That's how I'm living. I'm living as if that's true. I'm living as if I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I'm living as if my God is able to do immeasurably, abundantly, exceedingly more than all I can dream according to his power that's at work within me. I'm living as if my God is full of compassion. I'm living as if my God is full of hope. I'm living as if my God is full of mercy and forgiveness. I'm living as if my God is perfect in faithfulness. I'm living as if, and as if is all about faith in a God who's good. Faith in a God who's at work to your good. Let's be a church as if God is king and Jesus is Lord and his word is true and the Holy Spirit is alive in us and in this place. So here's what I'm gonna say to you. We got a P-P-T-G. We got a powerful post-traumatic God. Phenomenal promise of God, so simple. The most certain promise, the most comprehensive promise, the most powerful promise, but there's a kicker. It is the most conditional promise. It is a promise for sure, but it is a promise for a select group of people. It is a promise for those who love God, they qualify, and who live their lives according to his purpose. Look at the text. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. There's the kicker. Here's the condition. Who have been called according to his promise. So, I want to be in that company, but how do I know? How, how do you know? How do you figure out if you really love God? How can you trust that your life is being lived according to his promises so that you know he's actively at work? How do you know? Well, I remember those three elements. They are significant. You know you love God when you are grateful that God came to earth through human birth in the person of Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in Jesus would not perish but have everlasting life. Your gratitude is driven by your belief that Jesus died in your place for your sins. I mean, that should have been me on the cross. I should go to hell. We should be damned. But Jesus took our place, bore all our sin, absorbed all God's anger, do us for our sin. Jesus took it all in himself. And when God raised him from the dead, it completely forever sealed the deal 
And so we are so grateful. We live, that's where our love comes from. We are grateful for a Jesus who would be our Lord and Savior, who would die in our place for our sin and be raised from the dead. And it gives us compassion. We can't stand the thought of a child going without. We can't stand the thought of hungry people in our community. And our compassion makes us provide food. Our compassion compels us to provide winter gear. Our compassion compels us to reach out to other people who are yet to know Jesus like we know him. And then we just flourish in our relationship with him. Well, maybe a story will help. This is an Abraham Lincoln story. When, when he was young, well before the Civil War, well before his presidency, to personally experience the horror of slavery, he visited a slave market. And as he approached it, he saw a beautiful young black woman being auctioned off to the highest bidder. And so Lincoln bids. <laughs> his bid wins. She's his. And he could just see the anger flying from her eyes and he could almost feel what she was thinking. Oh, great, another white man to buy me, to use me and to throw me away. But he goes over and lays down his money, gets the deed to his property. And he walks off with his property. And when he gets a sufficient distance, he turns to her and says, you're free. She says, what do you mean, free? He said, I'm giving you your freedom. I paid for it, you're free. She says, you mean I'm, I'm free to say to you whatever I want to say? Yes, you're free to say to me whatever you want to say. You mean I'm free to be whoever I want to be? Yes, you're free to be whoever you want to be. You, you mean I'm free to do whatever I want to do? Yes. And now tears are streaming down her cheeks. And she says, you mean I'm free just to go, to go wherever I want to go? Lincoln says, yes, you're free to go wherever you want to go. She takes him by the arms and she says, I want to go with you. And who wouldn't? That's why we follow Jesus. That's why we go with him. Because the price he made was not money on a barrel head. The price he paid was his own shed blood on a cross. And God raised him from the dead to be all the irrefutable evidence we need that he is Lord, that he is Savior, and that he works all things together for the good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Thank you so much for listening to the Central Wired podcast. Be sure to stay connected with us at centralwire.com and have a great week. Bye.